time to abandon ship. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, call me. My main man. Quickly. Before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. This is escape. Then we're the pod. Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and Rebels Talk Part 14 where we will be breaking down Star Wars Rebels Season 3, Episode 11, 12, 13, and 14. And for those of you who have been uh, following us for, uh, for a while, you know, welcome back. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is a Rebels Talk after show. This is a Star Wars Rebels after show where we take you way back all the way through Star Wars Rebels and we chronologically go through the series leading up to Ahsoka. So where we are in Season 3, it's pretty exciting stuff. And uh, with me joins our esteemed co-host, Blake, in the podcast. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. Another episode of Rebels Talk. Welcome back, Blake. Thank you. Thank you. Hello there to all, one and all. That's right. Good to be back. Chut, chut. Chut, chut. And uh, we are at the halfway point of season three, which is incredibly exciting because it means we're almost done the show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too excited. Yeah, yeah. But these uh, these next set of uh, episodes are, are something that we've anticipated for a while. Uh, visions and voices. We got the two-parter arc, Ghost of Geonosis, something we've been waiting for since the yeah. beginning of season three. I think it is when they kind of journey back to Geonosis and discover some stuff there. And uh, Warhead, which was kind of an interesting Terminator-style episode, which is cool. Uh, so we got some some interesting episodes to talk about. Uh, we'll be giving our Pablo points and poodoos. That's right. And uh, just kind of trying to make some connections and more, sharing what we like, what we don't like. And uh, we'll give summaries before the episodes start, just for those of you who are fresh and new to the show. Uh, that's what we do. Uh, and that's what we've been doing for, for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you made it this far. You kind of come to know what to expect and yeah. aren't going to be surprised. Exactly. That you know halfway through. <laughs> exactly. If you're just jumping in for the first time, uh, this is your first Star Wars Escape Pod episode, uh, you know, then uh, welcome here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't always do Star Wars Rebels stuff. I mean, uh, this is the first time ever. It has been, well, first time ever for two months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, first time. First, I mean, we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, uh, mainly because of the journey to Ahsoka, which as of this episode dropping uh, on August 15th, will be uh, one week and one day away from Man, release. We're going to have to cram this. Crazy, right? Are we on schedule? Is that what this means? Are we? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are. We are very much behind schedule, actually. As it stands, if we continue with our 
release dates uh, as 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 penciled out in the podcast archives. Um, we'll get through Rebels Talk Part 17 before Ahsoka Episodes 1 and 2 comes out, and that'll leave us with three more Rebels Talk episodes to do, which is basically most of Season 4. And uh, then we'll be overlapping with about Episode 3 on Ahsoka at that point. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can make it even at least that. I mean, uh, otherwise... We could always speed things up. Yeah, I would say maybe we could speed it up a little bit. Maybe we do yeah. six episodes per show, or maybe we'll just have to... Do more recordings in a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> get ready for four episodes a week, everybody. Yeah, get ready to have your bus rides entertained on the way to work. That's right. That's right. We're doing a work day, every day of the week, special broadcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's get into it. Uh, we got Star Wars. This is Rebels Talk, episode 14. And uh, first up, we have Star Wars Rebels, season three, episode 11. This is Visions and Voices. Uh, what I'll do is I'll read a quick summary, um, some stuff, some stats, and uh, then uh, we'll play the uh, the Rebels Recon, and then we'll kind of dive right into the notes that we have. So... Uh, season three, episode 11, Visions and Voices, directed by Bosco Ng, written by Brent Friedman. This episode premiered on Disney XD December 10th, 2016, and guest stars Tom Baker, Sam Witwer, Meredith Salinger, and Anna Graves. Anna Graves, that's the voice of uh, Satine, believe oh, it or not. Really? Satine from the Clone Wars, yeah. Yeah, it's like... I don't know who she plays, but that is an interesting little piece of knowledge there. She must play one of the Night Sister ghosts. Who else could Maybe, yeah. Be? That's true. That's a good point. So does that mean that Satine was death of me? <laughs> there was a there was another Satine reference in this episode, which uh, you know, I'll bring up in just a moment because it's in my notes. But okay, so uh, Ezra is plagued by visions of Maul, who approaches him and Kanan as they consult the Bendu, offering a deal. Maul threatens to reveal Chopper base to the Empire unless Ezra accompanies him to a, a complete a ritual in order to reveal to both of them the information they sought from the Jedi and Sith holocrons. Maul and Ezra arrive on Dathomir, where they use dark magic to complete their holocron vision. A desert planet with two suns, where they both seek, is located. Uh, as the ritual completes, Ezra and Maul are attacked by the spirits of the Night Sister clan. Kanan and Sabine arrive, having tracked Ezra to Dathomir, but they are possessed by the Night Sisters and made to attack Ezra and Maul. Maul does escape, and Ezra uses the Force to push Sabine out of range of the altar, which is a source of the spirit's power. He offers himself to the Night Sisters to free Kanan, but then destroys the altar. As they leave, Sabine grabs the Darksaber used by Maul once upon a time. Kanan asks Ezra about his vision, and he reveals that his means to defeat the Sith and the target of Maul's vengeance are one and the same, a Jedi Master by the name of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Dun, dun, dun. This episode was the last episode to air before the release of Rogue One in theaters, just to give you a sense of timing as to when this episode came out. So that's interesting. That was an exciting time because I actually remember this episode coming out because you and I were both very excited because of all the yeah. Night Sister stuff. That's like, right. At last, they're, they're tying in some Clone Wars stuff. Yeah, yeah. At least there's some more Clone Wars stuff. Yeah. This was <laughs> at a period of time where it felt like Disney, after they'd taken over, was just... They had a blockade. Yeah. And Star Wars. They had a blockade around all of the prequel stuff. Yeah, they totally did. Yeah, just it felt like, like original trilogy. And that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. Let's just ignore everything else. Yeah. That's yeah, what it felt like. It certainly felt like that for a long time. So I'm glad we've kind of moved beyond that. I mean, you know, you, the, 
Yeah, the, I agree. I agree entirely. The, the latest Ahsoka trailer has Anakin's voice in the teaser trailer. So that was pretty cool. That's very cool. Maybe we can play it in a bit. We'll sure. take, a, take a little breather between Rebels Recon and, you know, get some hype going on. I do want to say, though, that you were so upset by the lack of prequel stuff. Probably by the time Rogue One came out, you, I recall you tweeted Pablo about it. Did I? I think so. What did I say? You, you're asking him, like, why is, why is Disney... Did he reply? Like, I think so. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know what he said. You have to dig through your old tweets and see if it's out there. This has been a long time ago. Oh, man. If I did, like, that's an sure account that I, I just don't have that account anymore. Oh, man. Now it's just a podcast account. But, yeah, that, that would have been... Dang. Pablo, if you're out there, <laughs> let us know. You know, you Thousands upon thousands of tweets. But that one tweet you sent to Josh out of a different account we don't have the name of. Yeah, why was there, why was there a prequel shunning? Why was there a prequel shunning? Ezra experiences apparitions of Maul on Chopper Base, only to have him reveal himself in front of the Bendu. You think I came here to fight? I came here to speak. Seeking additional information gleaned from the joining of the Holocrons, Ezra and Maul conjure the Night Sisters on Dathomir. Don't let them touch you! Now you tell me! But when Sabine and Kanan arrive, they become possessed, forcing Ezra to vanquish the Night Sisters and discover the clue he was looking for, along with a long-lost relic. This week, the Rebels were once again visited by Maul. I sat down with the crew to talk about the connection between Ezra and Maul, Sabine and the Darksaber, the Night Sisters' chamber, and so much more. Check it out. In Visions and Voices, Ezra seems to be having visions of Maul. Is this something that Maul is doing? Is this a natural occurrence in the Forest, or is Ezra just kind of losing it? With the Forest, it's very mysterious. Ever since they had their interaction with the Holocrons, there's a little bit of a lingering presence of Maul. Maul went off and processed his experience, and in doing so, realized that in joining the Holocrons, he linked himself to Ezra. The visions are entirely manufactured by Maul, and they're manufactured by Maul as Maul's getting closer and closer and closer to Ezra. Even if that bond didn't exist, I think Maul represents this scary thing to Ezra that when he's overworked and overstressed, it'll, creep back, it'll creep back into his thoughts. There seem to be a lot of personal items of Maul's inside this Night Sister chamber. Has he been living there? Yeah, you think about it. He came back home and he found a dead planet. He's living in a cave of ghosts. And what does he have but relics from his past? He has been haunted by Kenobi since episode one. And he's not one to forget. Where his downfall began and so this idea that he's been collecting threads to one day finally exact his revenge is basically embodied by his trove of yeah. items we've seen four spirits in the past what was the process of creating the special night sister look we had a sense that it was some sort of glowing green mist that wasn't purely just steam like it had sort of a tendril almost sort of living quality to it you had to sort of believe that this was some type of power that is a version of the force that is very different to what the Jedi use. Both Maul and the Rebels now know about Obi-Wan. Can you give us any hints about where this is leading? They do both know about Obi-Wan, but I think there's still a great deal to be learned about why. Obviously, Ezra has a very simplistic view of why Obi-Wan is part of his vision, but for Maul's motivations, that's something that probably is going to be more complicated. The very last shot sees Sabine picking up the Darksaber, which is awesome. Can you 
tell me a little bit about the meaning of the Darksaber and what it can mean to Sabine now that she has it? The Darksaber is the line that connects Jedi history and Mandalorian history. Mm -hmm. Dave has given it a lot of thought as far as what it means where it came from. Specifically to Sabine, it's an item of power, it's an item of authority. It was what allowed Pre Vizsla to rule Death Watch. It was his symbol of status. And now she has that symbol of status. We were talking about earlier is what would it take to unite Mandalorian clans? Or what would it take for her to be able to say, no, follow me? And now she has something that they'll listen to. All right. So there we go. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pablo. <laughs> uh, what did we think of that? That was actually quite interesting. I, I love playing these. First of all, because I haven't seen them in 10 years. Yeah. And I forgot they existed. But secondly, because they have insight from the, the creatives who worked on the show. Yeah. That I don't, at least I haven't picked up on naturally watching it. Like, I, I didn't realize the visions of Maul as they're seeing, as they're kind of lose it, was because there's a connection between them from the holocrons and because, and, and also because Maul's getting close. Mm-hmm. Because of that connection, as they're getting close together, it's almost like there's uh, ripples in the force from what happened. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you say that, you know, and the way that this episode presents Maul to Ezra as if uh, it could be sort of a Kylo Ren Ray sort of scenario going on, like what, what we experienced through, oh, their, yeah. through their dyad in the oh, force, goodness. right? Is this really got the idea? I don't know, but I, I would I be like willing to bet it wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is. But Brian at Johnson th- is a huge Rebels fan. <laughs> yeah. Although he did say he watched Clone Wars a little bit. Uh, I don't I know if they all say that though, like oh, yeah. I'm obligated to do it because I'm working. They watch one episode and they're yeah, like, yeah, "Yeah, I watched the Clone Wars. It was great." Yeah. <laughs> what, what should you watch? Oh, I watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what'd you think? It was okay. Yeah, yeah it was all right. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it was, it's just one of those things that um, I think how they how they approached it was this is something that that can be used. You know, in in a way to uh, almost, um, you know, it represents a communication, you know, like a bond, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and I think maybe even though the dyad thing is a whole like separate sort of scenario, I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel super out of place. This whole thing with him mm-hmm. kind of seeing Maul and stuff like that, you know, it, it feels connected to star wars you know they they entered in on this ritual together and yeah. it's something that people don't normally do is bind holocrons you know light and dark and being part of that meditation experience and didn't know you could even do most people no. most jedi most sense probably do but jedi don't feel like they come across holocrons very often right especially sith holocrons right exactly well, and the Sith holocrons that the Jedi did have, they kept in a big vault in the Jedi Temple a somewhere. Hidden a hidden vault. that not many people knew about mm-hmm. and very few people had access to. And we only knew about this as of the Dooku books. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Dooku books and the, the Master and Apprentice, uh, Qui-Gon Obi-Wan book, I think, also referenced it. But it was, it was, a, it was a cool piece of lore that I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode was really oh, interesting. Uh, one last thing. Yeah. So it dawned on me when we were talking about it here. This force bond. Guess where the first place I ever saw it was? Because I say this every time. Am I gonna guess? It? Am I gonna guess this right? Kotor two. Kotor two. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, that's actually. I just realized like this. That was part of the main premise of the game. Is your you're a Jedi who's cut off from the force. That's and all the other Jedi have been exterminated. And you're trying to figure out what happened. 
and a mysterious woman you find her as a force user this is like the beginning of the game right like you find her and there ends up being a force bond between the two of you and that allows you to rekindle your ability to get the force back you find out later it's because she intentionally did it because she's trying to use you to get to the other side and so on and so forth but that's that's the first time i came across this specific force bond connection where you can like communicate mm. directly to the force under infinite distances right right and you it, this this bond was to the point of if you took physical harm then the other person took it as well so if you died they would die i see interesting just like that is very much like a dyad mm -hmm. kind of relationship isn't it yep i think so yeah uh this episode's interesting you know um bringing back all the night sister stuff dathomir and everything like that uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Kanan refrains from just killing Maul on the spot when he does show up to to chat with them, you know, and it's like dude, the, blinded by him. Yeah, like this is the dude that took your vision, man. Like, it's cut the guy's head off. Like, it's not the Jedi way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking the entire time. He was just. I shouldn't there. have done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the Jedi way. Uh, shouldn't have done that. It's it's not the Jedi way. <laughs> he cut off your arm. You wanted it revenge. Oh. All right. <laughs> well, then that's okay, I guess. You raised some good points. <laughs> you bring up some excellent points. <laughs> Do you have any other suggestions of power? <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I'm ready to say that in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's such a good way to put it. <laughs> so, uh... Do you know how it could be more powerful? <laughs> Just, you know, putting it out there. <laughs> if you, uh, you know, if you know anything, if maybe you had a, a pupil that instructed you in the ways of the force by any chance that you've never shared with me all these years, as a matter of fact, I'd have. <laughs> all right. Um, the Night Sisters and Dathomir revisiting. That was super cool. And, uh, you know, from all to also suggest the use of Night Sister magic. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, you know, the Night Sister witchcraft, if you will. That was a very neat kind of thing to throw into Star Wars Rebels, something I never expected them to bring back. No, well, that would be lost with Clone Wars because it was such a, it was very hearted in Clone Wars. It had a huge deal with what was going on then. Yeah. It just felt like it's kind of contained within that box. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's cool to see it branching out. It seems as if his studies in the dark side really has taught him well about his own heritage because like these are his people and this is his ancestry and like these are this is where he comes from right mm -hmm. so like you know he's technically he's the son of dathomir right yeah. hence the name of that comic book which wrapped up his his clone wars arc in a nutshell the missing episodes that they didn't make uh so that was it was cool it was cool it's cool to see that i had some questions around that so what did you originally think Night Sister magic was? Did you always think that was the Force, or did you think it was something else? No, I've always, I've always, um, just in lore, it's like a thing. Like they use a, a side of the dark side of the Force that mm -hmm. that Sith don't necessarily access a lot. However, the Sith alchemy side That's, of yeah. of the dark side, you know, things that have kind of been done in we've the closest thing to Sith alchemy that we've seen so far in canon, I think, has been. Um, you know, I hate to bring up episode nine as an example, but the, the whole, you know, resurrection through cloning 
technology with that person being able to sustain midichlorians and that's sort of Sith alchemy stuff. But the also, only other time was okay, Clone Wars. I was just going to say Clone Wars at the final season. I yeah, think. it was uh, an episode where where Sidious and Tyrannus were both kind of hovering around this bowl mm-hmm. and like they were kind of projecting Sith lightning into the bowl to sort of uh, uh, get in the head of Master Yoda. Yeah, and they were right. trying to deceive him about about numerous things and to throw him off the trail of, of discovering some of their secrets, right? So it's cool, like to see some, you know, that kind of thing because it doesn't come up very often. No, and uh, and yet when it does, it's like whoo. In the EU, like ancient EU, I think it was a lot more of a thing. Yeah, you could use. What's funny is we actually see it happen in Clone Wars. Is uh, they would use Sith alchemy to create things through the Force potions or whatever, like magic kind of sort of. Weren't Rancors like a product of that? Yes, that that is an old EU thing. Where Rancors were a a product of Sith alchemy. That's why there's such monstrosities. Yeah, but then we also find out in Force Unleashed that they're just. uh, that they're, they're just from Felucia. I so I don't know yeah. what it is now. <laughs> that's, that's the that's the mess of legends, right? Yeah. The, yeah. But I was gonna say they they could make uh, you know magic potions, whatever, and to uh, increase their own physical strength and capabilities, which we see happen in Clone Wars with um, Maul's brother. Yeah, name? yeah, Savage Opress. Yeah, the 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 Night Sister magic kind of you know. G- Gives him this whole new body, you know. They t- takes him from like a skinny mini guy he to gets, these yeah, roided Hulk. Up. Yeah, he gets gets beefed up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Satine's portrait and uh, the twisted tune that plays when when the camera focuses on it when when we're on Maul's hideout on Dathomir, you see Satine's portrait with kind of smears of red across her face and her body and stuff, scratches if you will, and uh, the twisted tune plays. In a different key, where where it's it's Satine's theme, like the theme that plays between her and Obi Wan all the time, except it's in like a kind of like a minor key. So, you know, it, it, I thought it was kind of an interesting kind of musical callback that Kevin Kiner kind of made to that previous Clone Wars arc where we saw her die, and uh, that was kind of a cool thing, you know, to reference. Uh, because let's not forget, you know, it is Bo Katan's sister that is, mm-hmm. you know, since been passed, right? Uh, and beneath that portrait is the dark saber, which he keeps on a little pedestal to uh, sort of a symbol of power that he wants held over the Mandalorians that he no longer has. It's weird that he thinks so little of the dark saber. Yeah, he doesn't wield it anymore, right? But then I think to him, lightsabers, as we've come to discover as time's gone by, tend to uh, be have, now they're almost a behaving a bit like magical wands or something like it's almost like the 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 crystal in the saber it resonates with a with a with the user a certain way through the force right so that's why like jedi just don't run around and pick up every lightsaber known to man and just kind of like use whatever but they do that because we see in attack of the clones obi-wan anakin are given just random lightsabers to fight with yeah and like they can right and that's the thing is like they can it's just like long-term like long-term use it's not ideal no, no, definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When Maul says it ends where it begins, he refers to his first encounter with the Jedi on Tatooine, not Naboo. It's easy to forget that the first lightsaber duel was on Anakin's home world, mm-hmm. but uh, that's actually where the encounter happened for the first time between him and Qui-Gon, you know, on the way back to 
the Naboo Mos ship. Mos Espa, yeah. Mos Espa, yeah, after the races. And, uh, you know, Obi-Wan was Anakin, there. Anakin, drop! Anakin, Anakin, drop! Tell him to take off! <laughs> yeah, so that was a cool reference. Uh, and Ezra realizes Obi-Wan Kenobi is the key to destroying the Sith. Uh, Maul is also looking for him, and Ezra knows this. And uh, a planet with two suns is the key, but apparently he has no idea which planet that is. Maul knows exactly where it is. Yeah, I was going to say, this This became a big, like, I think a plot hole to me, because Maul's just going to beeline it straight there. Yeah. they got to figure it out. So how in the world would they catch up to him? Well, that's the thing, because Kanan, at the end of the episode, he's like, There's too many we, we got to try and figure it out and beat Maul there. And then... <laughs> And then meanwhile, Maul's like, yeah, Maul's like already there, you know, it's like, what, you know, but anyway, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay. And then the following like seven episodes, you know, we don't actually get a resolution to that Mm -hmm. until, you know, the end of, of season three, I believe. I can't remember. There better be an excuse to why Maul takes so long to get there because he's got a ship now too. He's got that Mandalorian ship. For now, I guess we can assume he's hanging out there trying to find Obi-Wan. He just knows, because Tatooine's a big place, right? Like, he's yeah, okay. he's probably searching for quite some time, you know? I forgot to check that big whale carcass, so they're, they're cutting and training everyone yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I guess once we revisit this storyline again in the future, in the near future, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely bring this up again. How funny it would be if Maul showed up and was looking for him right as Obi-Wan was gone looking for Leia. <laughs> so you can find him. That's what that, that would be funny. I mean, if the timeline worked out that way, that would be funny. Well, that, that's already Where happened. is he? <laughs> uh, well, any uh, oh, Pablo points of Pudus, unless you have anything last minute to bring up? I always remember liking this episode quite a lot. Yeah. The whole... We didn't really touch too much on it, but this is kind of the only time we really see people really get possessed by spirits in Star Wars too. Which is pretty cool. It's almost like a Pirates of the Caribbean sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it is kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with two, two problem points, I think. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with two, actually. This one was a good one. I liked it a lot. And uh, there wasn't there wasn't very much to dislike, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest. I mean, it was a pretty solid episode of the series. And, and uh, plays an essential part uh, in the story of the Darksaber as well. As well as um, the, uh, the 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 story that that really matters to a lot of us Clone Wars fans with with Maul, you know, and what he's up to as well. So yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. It was a good. It was a good one. Two Pablo points. Did you buy Sabine's reaction when she found the dark saber though? It was pretty um, nonchalant, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I noticed that immediately. Yeah, that was kind of weird. First time watching it, kind of like. Think, oh, she just finds this thing. We find how important it is to Mandalorian people and her clan specifically. Yeah. She just kind of finds it, looks at it, it was like, hmm, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. And just like, uh, you, I th- oh, you know what I thought was weirder is that Ezra kind of knows that this is important, mm-hmm. you know, and he just leaves it in the dust. Yeah. Too. And she's, she's the one to pick it up, right? It's like, dude. <laughs> um, anyways. All right. It's definitely a Chewie not getting a medal situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, season three, episodes 12 and 13. We're going to combine the next two together. This is Visions and Voices, directed by Mel Zwyer, written by Stephen Melching, Dave Filoni, and Matt Michnovitz. 
These episodes both premiered January 7th, 2017, the first ones to premiere in the new year, and guest stars Phil Lamar, Leslie L. Miller, and Forrest Whitaker, who uh, just prior to that, weeks earlier, people saw his live-action debut as the character Saw Gerrera in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. So uh, here is the summary. I'll blaze through this, and then we'll do the, uh, the Rebels Recon. And uh, quite frankly, I don't have a lot of notes for this one. So this is pretty much for, you know, catch people up. After the legendary Sagarira, Forrest Whitaker, and his rebel squad go missing on Geonosis, the ghost crew is sent to investigate. Ezra, Kanan, Rex, and Chopper split off in search of Foresaw, uh, while Hera, Sabine, and Zeb stay behind to salvage a still operational shield generator. Ezra and his group are rescued from a battle droid ambush by Saw, who explains that the droids killed the rest of his team and that they were rebuilt by a Geonosian survivor. Ezra, Saw, and the rest of the group pursue the Geonosian and activate more battle droids which attack Sabine and Zeb. Ezra corners the Geonosian and Saw destroys its uh, control device, disabling all the battle droids. Saw then begins to interrogate the Geonosian, demanding it to tell him what the Empire was building on Geonosis. In response to Saw's question, the Geonosian named Click-Clack draws two circles in the dirt. Not understanding what Click-Clack is trying to say, Saw handcuffs Click-Clack and forces him to lead them deeper into the ruins. Ezra becomes concerned at the hostility Saw is showing to Click-Clack, and Rex explains that Saw's sister was killed by a Geonosian-built gunship during the Clone Wars. Meanwhile, an Imperial patrol detects signs of life on Geonosis and sends scouts to investigate. Underground, Click-Clack leads the rebels to his hideout where he was protecting a, a Geonosian queen egg. Sorry. The rebels then bring Click-Clack back to the ghost where Saw begins torturing Click-Clack and threatens to destroy the egg if he does not talk, ignoring the crew's objections. Ezra then points out to Saw that Saw would be no better than the Empire if he destroyed the Geonosian's last chance of survival uh, as a species, causing Saw to reconsider However, the Imperials send an attack force after the, the ghost, forcing it to flee deep underground. In an underground chamber, they find a large container full of poison gas, many large containers, that the Imperials had used to exterminate the Geonosians. Saw decides to give the Geonosians a second chance at survival and lets Click-Clack go. Click-Clack flees deeper into the, ruin, into the tunnels, and the rebels then try to escape with the gas containers to use as proof of the Empire's atrocities but they are lost when they blast their way through an Imperial cruiser. Bail Organa notes that without the containers, there is insufficient evidence for the Senate to act, but the pictures that the crew had taken can certainly be used as propaganda to further the rebel cause. Kanan reminds Ezra that like Saw, not all rebels fight the same cause for the same reasons, but Hera, must, um, Hera muses that despite her misgivings about him, Saw proved that he was better than the Imperials after all. Ghost of Geonosis is probably the most direct link between Star Wars animated series and the films. Yeah. What do you think about the direction that these stories are going in the connected timeline? For us to get to be a part of that storyline and be directly connected to the movie is just super, super cool. It's amazing, and I am just getting more and more caught up in it. Like Rogue One, seeing Saw, having him in our show as well and tying it all together. I think that's what fans live for. I mean, me as a fan, I love seeing things where I get to put all the pieces together. Ghost of Geonosis brings Saw Gerrera into the Rebels timeline. What was the process like working on this episode? 
episode while Rogue One was still in production. We based the look of Saw on Flashback Saw, and Flashback Saw actually had more scenes back in the day, where we would see Saw look more like what we saw him in the trailer with completely shaved head, and that's our version of Saw. As Saw's role in Rogue One evolved, so did our treatment of him and kind of showing where he came from. We definitely knew we wanted to plant seeds of his fanaticism, how he was this freedom fighter in the Clone Wars and dedicated to freeing his planet, but ultimately he lost. When you're continually beaten down, at some point you'll do anything to win one. We've got a great group of collaborators here and I talked to Gareth and, and we all love working together and respect what each other's doing. Without that level of collaboration, I think respect between groups, you're never gonna get you know forced to come in and do the voice, which was a pretty automatic thing for us and he was so willing to do it and excited. That's and awesome. Just there as another layer. How do you think Saw has changed since we last saw him? He's obviously hardened quite a bit. It's weird to say that he's regressed, but in a way he has because he's not taking the philosophies of the Jedi and of the clone that sort of helped shape his first force. He seems very against that now and has turned away from it. In the development of Rogue One, one idea that kept surfacing was that Saw was so obsessed with whatever the Empire was doing. Saw is looking for a way to strike back at the Empire. When he discovers that Geonosis has been wiped out, he knows that the Empire is up to something terrible, and if there's a way he can strike a blow against them, fantastic, and he really is looking to take the fight to them in a big way. There's a deterioration of him as far as his confidence and belief in what the Rebellion represents or what the Rebellion's willing to do, and that they don't all agree on the dangers at hand. In Revenge of the Sith, we see that the Death Star was being constructed over Geonosis, but in this episode, it's moved. Where did it go? <laughs> when did it leave? We knew that the Death Star would not be at Geonosis in the Rogue One storyline. And so going all the way back to season one, we had to get the Death Star away from Geonosis. Saw not only is rooting around for information about the Death Star, he gets close. He gets close enough that it spooks some Imperials to the point where it's like, we need to move this thing to someplace that's more secure. Probably as soon as they could get a workable hyperdrive in it, they got it away from Geonosis and then bombed the planet to destroy any evidence and any witnesses. Exactly how much of the Death Star was designed and constructed by the Geonosians before they were wiped out? The idea was that the Geonosians are weapons designers. They had the first feasible plans of the Death Star. What they couldn't figure out is how to get that working super laser. For whatever reason, they couldn't crack that last theoretical nut of how do we get the amount of power required out of this weapon? And that's why Krennic needs Galen. And that's what Krennic is all hot about at the beginning of Rogue One saying, the work is stalled. I need you to come back because you can deliver something that these bugs can't. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, there's uh, some cool Rogue One kind of ties in this in this. And I didn't realize that they had actually communicated with the team on Rogue One when it came to moving the Death Star. We did talk about that. We kind of theorized a little bit, but now kind of just to backtrack a little bit to season one when they, you know, have sus suspicions that there was something being built there. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to kind of see that they that, that information was communicated so that they did, in fact, not have the Death Star there above, above Geonosis and tell that story, mm. you know, directly just so that that information was, was given to the audiences. It's interesting, though, that Pablo says specifically that um, Saw Guerrero was kind of getting close to figuring it out, so they moved it. But yeah. for that timeline to work, it would have to have been... Like you said, like season one, over like a couple years ago. So has Saw yeah. been around Geonosis, digging around for this entire time? No, I think um, it sounds as if what they discovered there in season one, the rebellion 
eventually acted on sending a team there to investigate, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of kind of between the lines, I guess, where it's like the ghost crew realized there's no life forms on the planet anymore. There's something really weird going on here. And then they got chased away from that scene, right? Mm -hmm. But they reported what they found to the rebellion. And since then, they've sent Saw and a team to investigate. And that's kind of where this episode picks up the story is they realize that the Rebellion's done this, and now they need an extraction team to go in and check and make sure that Saw and his team are okay. And uh, that's when they find Saw and his team has been killed off by, you know, yeah. by the droids, right? So Super uh, cool, by the way. I love the yeah. whole... Uh, like spooky trying to figure out what's going on it reminds yeah. me so much to the original halo game when you first encounter the flood yeah 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 coming across all the dead soldiers and like blood everywhere you find the guy with like you find like i think it was a. Uh, I think it was johnson not john so john, johnson was a sergeant what's the other guy i can't remember i forget but you find if yeah you I find know like his helmet about. and he pulls chip out and you like go through the recording like so you're like seeing yeah. bits and pieces of what happened it was like a horror movie it was super cool so what I liked about this one was this was Clone Wars nostalgia done Jenkins. right. It was Jenkins. No, oh, Jenkins. Yeah, this was nostalgia done right, right? Because I, I know I expressed some uh, disappointment with the last battle in our previous Rebels Talk episode, I think, or two, two Rebels Talk episodes ago. In Rebels Talk episode 12, we reviewed uh, an episode called The Last Battle, which was season three, episode six. And uh, that one was just, it just did not hit home for me. You know what I mean? And this one was done was much your, better. Oh, that was your double poodoo, wasn't it? Yeah. The double squat. That was the, yeah, that was, that was a poodoo for sure. This one, this one was better. Like this one I liked a lot more. And, and it, you know, it, it, it's not high up on my list or anything like that. I think Click Clack, you know, the whole nicknaming of the Gene Ocean was a little stupid. But <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, like the droid thing was done better. Like the droid thing was done I think correctly, mm -hmm. they didn't come across as like, you know, cheesy in this episode. In this yeah. episode, yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool how he repaired and rigged them all, and they're they're all destroyers, I think, right? Most of them. There was still some battle droids there. Okay. No supers though. I don't. I don't think it's just mostly destroyers and and um, B ones. B ones. Which yeah. is funny because they created the Genosians. Create sorry, yeah, Genosians created the B twos. The Geno. Uh, did they? Yeah, super battle droids. That was them. I thought that was the like the techno union or something. I'd oh wait. I mean, we know they created the battle. Yeah, droids. I think you're right. What, what what was a really nice touch though was that they made sure to make the B one battle droids that showed up in this episode. They made them that reddish kind of a rocky looking mm -hmm. color that they show up in Attack of the Clones with, right? The, the local ore from Genosha. Yeah, the local Genosha. ore makes them. Yeah, and that, a lot of people kind of wonder that, right? It's like, oh, why are the battle droids not like? bone white mm -hmm. you know like they are on the phantom menace or revenge of the sith or the clone wars like why are they reddish right it's cool it's cool it's a cool kind of you know just a small sort of thing to keep in mind it's like well they they, they make the the material using the local rock you know available on geonosis and the, the rock there is like orange right it's like a red kind of like lava like uh yeah or sorry yeah <laughs> but like like all the the rocky structures in the planet like it's all mm -hmm. red right like it's all like like the the sand is like a like a you yeah, know like the yeah it's the, the reddish sand yeah it's like a like a reddish tint yeah. right yeah. so like you look at the planet it's got it's just like red and orange like all over right and the mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's the pretty rust, cool so using the color. local ore to make the battle droids like you know rubs we never off in the color see that again though no um 
I'm sure if they made battle droids on a weirdly colored planet, maybe it would happen again, but we just haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. But that would be cool to see. You know, would be pretty sweet. Umbara B1 battle droids. Maybe they'd be like black or something. Or glowy. Yeah, gl- glowy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rocket Trooper showed up in this episode, so that was pretty sweet. When did we last see Rocket Troopers? Is this the first time that people were revealed to Rocket Stormtroopers? I think the only other the time we've the seen time. them was like Force Unleashed. I remember there was there was yeah. in those. <laughs> it's funny because that's what I, was, I thought of immediately because I just finished the first game. Yeah. Well, I was going to comment for the last last episode, which I thought was funny because uh, in Force Unleashed, because Sam Witwer was voice of Maul in the last one, so I was going to bring it up. Yeah. So Sam Witwer in Force Unleashed, he he didn't just voice Starkiller. He voiced Palpatine as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't know that for the game. Because I thought the first time he did Palpatine was in Rebels. That's how we got the gig for Rebels. Yeah. So the, I thought even watching that game, you watch the credits go by and it just all says Sam Whitmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same as a Rebels episode. Yeah. Until, until D-Bandit Breaker came and stole the show, I think. Nice. <laughs> uh, okay, I thought, you know, one one kind of weird thing with me, and you, we've talked about, like, the the use of certain force powers being, like, either weird or bad timing you know it's like okay technically jedi can fly because they can like force levitate themselves but you know like how at what point does this begin to cross a line as far as how it comes across through the cinema right and clearly episode eight crossed a line somewhere because nobody loved the whole flying mary poppins leia scene very much Mm. um but technically that's a thing right like they they can do that it just looked a little odd right um, so how come Kanan can lift a bridge for Saw and and Rex to cross, but he can't just levitate them all over there? I wonder that too, because technically he should be able to do that. He should. He catches Ezra falling. That's the same thing. Well, we've seen Maul catch Ezra with the Force and have him, you know, fly up to his hand and pull him back over a cliff, right? Like, yeah. we, we've seen it before where... Jedi catch people midair in the force and have mm-hmm. them, you know, softly land on the ground, right? Like, how can he not, you know, just move them over, there. move them over, right? It's just like a little, a little odd. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things that I feel like just changes based on what the story's at. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just more difficult because you're, you're trying to grab onto a, a living being as opposed to an inanimate object. You'd think that would be easier. Like the like living beings, like the force is inside a living being, right? Like it's you know, well, it's I don't know, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things. that's like why not? But at the same time, it's maybe part of the story that. But then again, they all made it across, so it's like does it doesn't really matter. But I guess it was one of those things that is like, well, it would look weirder if they all started flying across, like you know, like nothing, There's right? Leapfrog throwing each other. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe that was exactly what they were worried about. In which case I commend the idea of doing this whole bridge thing. I just think it could have maybe been played up a little bit differently, you know? Cause he could have also just forced through them all. Over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he just jumps himself. So. Right. Right. Or someone hops on the back of chopper and rides him across. <laughs> we have, we've seen that many times. <laughs> people ride on chopper. I don't remember that. Yeah. People have ridden on chopper. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ezra rode on chopper multiple times, but he likes riding on everybody. Well, that's, that's when <laughs> that sounds Sabine, a little weird. Um, Sabine dropped him. Right? We, we've seen him ride Purgles. We've seen him ride Ezra. He's... Get somebody get that man a horse. 
jeez. Oh, um, Did you notice that in this episode or arc, Sagarera has a shaved head? Yeah, so he's got a shaved head and a full beard. And I think this was supposed to bridge the gap between between where they took his character in the Rogue One teaser trailer, yeah. but then later changed that and gave him hair for the final film. Yeah, so they did reshoots in the original, original teaser trailer. I just looked this up. I just watched the trailer while we're talking here. Yeah. He has a shaved head, which yeah. is what I remember. Right. And so I think because they were using the the model of this show would have been based on the original shoot, is what my guess is. And so it was based on that, and then they changed it with reshoots. That that makes sense, you know. It makes sense to uh, that they would do that. I think I th- it's cool though that they sort of do have him as bald because the scraggly hair almost makes him look even more disheveled and older, right? So at that point, he's living in a cave. Yeah, so I think they yeah they wanted him to look like he was kind of going a little crazy. Yeah, clean shaven look Hermity. doesn't look. Yeah, yeah. And he definitely became very ins- like insular. Right. Where he was just distrustful of everyone. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, when he showed up in Andor, which takes place before Star Wars Rebels, he's got short, darker, curly hair that's kind of curly, right? So, it's like, a like tight buzz sort of thing? Yeah, like a, like a bit of a, well, um, kind of like a mini afro, but like thicker locks, you know, you can tell that he's younger. Okay. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Prior to that appearance, he does show up in Fallen Order in that game. And he's got a clean, shaven head with a small, thin beard. So He's all over the map. He's all over the map. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he kind of shaves, and then he grows it out, and then he shaves again, and then he Life grows it out again. I guess, it's just when you have time. Yeah, and then uh, when he shows up in the Bad Batch, uh, that's when we see uh, um, his... Wig. His more closer to his Clone Wars facial look going on, right? And he's, he's got the there. he's got the slicked yeah. back hair with kind of like a, it's like gelled backwards, mm-hmm. and it looks like he stuck his head out of the window of a moving vehicle or something like that. It's like suction back. Is it braids or anything? No, not in that version. Not in that one. But he's gone through a lot of looks. He's gone through a lot of looks. So I think it's cool that they sort of, you know, made it made it clear that it's like okay. You know, this dude's like any other. You know, he doesn't have the same hairstyle for like twenty years in a row, right? And like every other character in the yeah. Star Wars universe. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, Marvel or anything. Yeah, if Saw Gerrera's maybe maybe Saw is the normal one. Maybe right. he's not crazy after all. He was a fan who just got put into the universe. He's the only one that ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Saw's an interesting character. I mean, you had something to play on on this one, right? Or something. no, the next one. The next so, one. Okay. But I right. wanted to bring up in this. Uh, I should have wrote down a clip point, but uh, there's a moment or a few times where Saul just laughs awkwardly, and it makes me a little like it was just like it makes him just sound like he's already starting to go insane. Yeah, yeah, he's getting closer to that point though, right? Because this is only like two, maybe three years away from the events of Rogue One. It's that close. Yeah, we're pretty close at this point. Oh, man, okay. But he, he has like this weird chuckle. Watch yourself, Master Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably closer than mine. But I was, when he did that the first time, I was just like, is like, he all right? Is he, it just sounds like he's going to betray them. Yeah, he <laughs> sounds like, he a, does, like a cackling evil man. You know, just... not, not quite a hyena. But yeah, it's not the high-pitched. But like just yeah, this weird, awkward cackle. Oh, what's your step, Master Jedi? <laughs> 
That's pretty close, actually. Yeah. <laughs> You've been practicing. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't been practicing. I just, I just <laughs> came up with that. Good but memory. here, like, uh, you know, I think I can actually... Hold on a second. I, can, I think I can bring it up. That's right. That's exactly what he sounded like. That's exactly what he sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we are. Here we are. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. And here we go. To map a fair amount of these tunnels. There's a breeze. Whoa, watch your step, Master Jedi. <laughs> it's a long way down. Yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the exactly one. what I was thinking of. <laughs> it's like, somebody get this guy a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> this guy needs a drink. Yeah. Uh, this guy needs a beverage. Um, yeah. It just, it just felt very uh, out of nowhere, that little... Despite cackle. the laugh, despite the cackle, mm-hmm. uh, this, this episode has a bit of a lighter tone on his character. The fact that he mm-hmm. doesn't shoot the Geonosian egg. Um, the saw that I know, the saw that I'm familiar with through Rogue One and even kind of the recklessness that we've kind of come to know him as, it almost seems like he would just do it anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got a little bit of that, you know, Dark Knight Joker in him, it feels like. Yeah. It's just like he wants to cause as much chaos as possible if it'll do anything to affect his enemy or his chances. Yeah, and he's very driven by vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. Was he like that in the Bad Batch episode? I'm trying to remember. Not that. as much, no. Um, so, he, what I'm wondering is if they did a good job with him progressively getting more... They have, intense. actually. They have. Yeah, so from when we meet him in the Bad Batch, after the Clone Wars, that is, and then again uh, two or three years later in Jedi Fallen Order, it seems as if he's more a close ally to the Rebellion and working sort of within the bounds, you know, the bounds that they've sort of set out. I mean, they're a fledgling rebellion at that point, all in their own individual cells. No mm-hmm. one's come together yet, right? So there's really kind of less rule to break. There's really less, um, there's less structure in place. And uh, he's at that point, at least back in Fallen Order and in uh, Bad Batch, he's actually got people that he's like kind of protecting and looking out for. He's a bit more of, an, a, bit, a, bit more of a hero character, right? And then as we kind of go towards Rogue One, he sort of becomes an anti-hero character. And in some cases, a villain. Because he's, later on, I mean, he doesn't even think about the innocent lives that he's affecting with, with his, his his tactics, right? Like, he just doesn't care anymore. Oh, I think we're seeing that happen with Andor as well, right? Like, when we meet him in Rogue One, I feel like he's in a pretty similar place. Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's five years prior. So, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, or is it five years prior or like something like that? Maybe seven, seven years prior or something, whatever it is. But yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like, dang, this guy's like really starting to lose himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, he's getting really, he's, he's too in, he's too in deep. And if you think about anyone in that position who he's been fighting for like over 15 years at that yeah. point, like that's a long time. And just see this tyranny over and over again. And probably as we're seeing even through this show of Rebels, the more you try to help, the more the Empire pushes down on you. Yeah. It was like you try to help someone and then they're specifically in more trouble or treated even worse by the Empire. And some people, yeah, and some people haven't lost themselves necessarily. I mean, we've seen people fighting, you know, like Mon Mothma a long time. And, you know, she she's stuck very close to her morale, right? But then uh, people, even like Cassian Andor, even in Rogue One, he admits like, you know, we've all done terrible things on behalf of the Rebellion. And, uh, you know, you just straight up shot that dude. 
That was like... Yeah, that's what I was like, thinking of. The opening scene. Yeah. Can't make the climb? Yeah. Boom. Hip fire. Down. Can't risk information getting out. It's like, dang, this is a side of the rebellion that we just don't see very often, mm-hmm. right? And but I think... that That's war, man. That's what it is. It's gritty. I mean, yeah, yeah. We don't like to think about that part, but... Yeah, a that's, lot of bad stuff behind the scenes that just kind of yeah, swept under the rug. It's pretty crazy. But yeah, it's just like, it's just one of those things that's like, uh, some people have really kind of gone to depths to other people that we know from the story have not, right? And Saw is just one of those people that's just like, kind of digs himself into that hole a little bit, the way that he comes up with these missions in the first place. And mm-hmm. we see him more throughout the series later on. I, I just, I remember, I think there's a season four arc where we really see that final bridge between what we see him here as to what we know him to be in Rogue One. And that's kind of that like well, the yeah. breaking, the last straw sort of thing. Going there in this big satellite dishes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Pablo points or Pudas for these two episodes. Let's combine the two of them. Oh, we'll I, just make it one story. Was that everything for both of them? We have more yeah. for the second half still, don't we? Uh, that's both of them. Oh, okay. Well, I got a couple last notes then. Uh, did you notice the shield generator they used? Well, it looked almost exactly like the one from Hoth. Just yeah, it did. Down. Yeah, looked very almost exactly the same. Yeah, that's maybe one of them. They stole the core. Then, if they basically just maybe retransplant the whole thing. Yeah, that that's certainly possible. And maybe the thing around the core is just like an amplifier for size. Yeah, that's what it seemed like because they could activate the the shield even without the the amplifier, or whatever. Yeah, which was pretty cool. That was cool. Did you find it funny that whenever Click Clack was, just, he was like trying to, like, what's here? And he like clearly like draws the Death Star. Yeah. And just, like, I don't know what it is. Tell us, tell us what you know. He Circles just, isn't going to tell me anything, bug. <laughs> That's right. Tell me something more. Yeah, they're all, I, can't. I can't understand that. He got me some sort of. Okay, how come Chopper didn't place. translate anything of what he was saying? You'd think that Chopper would know what he's saying. Why don't they have a translator droid? Yeah. You think some sort of interpreter. You think the information would be valuable enough that they would at least like record something that he says. Again, this is all in service of the story that we already have. They got to work with episode four and Rogue One and everything else, right? So they these characters can't know what's going on. So they have to find a way around it, right? But it just uh, thought it was it thought it was a bit strange that maybe they didn't make it more clear that like there is it's impossible to know what this dude is saying because like I feel like Chopper would have Geonosian in his database, maybe? Chopper's an astromech, though. He's I, ge- I, I guess so. I guess so, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. But you think the Rebellion would have some sort of protocol droid. Something. Like, what about um, EE3 or whatever his name is? AP5. That's the one. <laughs> I'm not <even> close. <laughs> well, he was back on the base. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Dial him in. Inventory. Yeah. Give him yeah. a call. Give him a call. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I had one. Actually, I did have one audio clip from this the second episode. Here. Oh, let's take a listen. Uh, and it was. Do you recall we were watching in an episode a while back, and they had that the wrap up at the end. Yep. And it was awful. Which one was this? So we talked about it. Man, number the of podcasts back. Yeah, it was like at the oh, ending, it was like the bad batch one. Yeah, I think it was bad. Batch. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, bad, right. the bad. It was a bad batch episode where they basically summarize what happened at the very end of the episode. Yeah. It was so cheesy. So they did that in this, and it, whatever they do, like to me, this is like an old cartoon thing you do for like children's cartoons. People, yeah, you know, kids like under ten or whatever. 
Yeah. Just so like, just in case you missed it. But I was so surprised to see that here. I'm going to play a clip. You're going to find not all of our allies share the same values or even fight the Empire for the same reason we do. I've also got my issues with Saw Ezra, but in the end, he proved he's not the Empire. And for now, that will have to do. Yeah, what? yeah. It's like, what? Uh, Just this awkward wrap-up. He's like, let us explain what's going on here between us and Saw. It did in feel. You missed it. It did feel a little janky. Yeah, those moments always just like take me out. Yeah, like, it kind of breaks the fourth wall. I know, I know. It's kind of, kind of unfortunate. But okay, so let's do let's do some pile points, Pudus. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a great point to make. Got to lower um, the score a little bit. Yeah, you got to got to get get some Pudus in there. That's right. I mean, okay, so this one, this one, I, I did like how they approached the whole horror aspect about uh, mm -hmm. the first half of the, the duo. Uh, you know, I liked the battle droids, how they played those up. They didn't seem, you know, it, it wasn't as cheesy as the last battle. Uh, and uh, seeing Forrest Whitaker back as Saw was great. It was a really essential story to see unravel that the rebellion is on to the fact that maybe something gargantuan was was made here on Geonosis. However, I don't think that information necessarily makes its way across the full rebellion um, as we've sort of come to discover uh, until, you know, sort of the end when people start believing that there is, in fact, a giant super weapon. But, uh, you know, it was a cool story to kind of see unravel. And um, I think I would give this, like, as an, an entirety, uh, the duo, if you will, I would probably give... Point five oh, wow. Pablo points. Oh, wow. That's actually way lower than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, like... Because this was a big deal, I thought. I was thinking like, one, They but finally get to Geonosis to find the death. Oh, uh, you know, screw it. One, one Pablo point. One Pablo point. I'll be nice. <laughs> I'll be nice today. Yeah. One Pablo point. Yeah. Did I mention that they named him Click Clack? Yeah, that dragged it down for a lot. <laughs> half a point again. Half a point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that didn't bother me as much. It's just a typical Ezra thing to me, isn't it? Oh, I've, yeah. I've built an immunity because let's not forget, I watched all of Resistance. Right. So I have I have a pretty strong immunity to these just like really cheesy ridiculousness. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, to me, this ep the two parter. It's interesting because they both had the first part. And the second part had different strengths. So if, I, if there's a weakness for me, it'd be actually the blending of the two. Because the first one, I really liked the horror aspects. And the second one, uh, I really liked uh, the fighting of what they had to do to actually escape the Empire when they showed up there. I thought it was super cool. Trying to get it. Yeah. Of like how they hid down that tunnel. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And then how the... The... Imperial transport, I guess it is, not a star destroyer. It was like fl they, f they flew directly over top, and yeah. they, they flew uh, vertically. Then through the the tunnel, and able to uh, like uh, attack it directly from the belly. That was a cool maneuver. Yeah, I thought it was that was that was really cool. How do they lose those cans though? Those are like suction. <laughs> suction. What's funny off. is I had that as my notes. <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote down. How do they fall off? Yeah, how <laughs> do they fall off? It's like, man, that's like a tractor beam style. Like I, I don't know. I, how did that work? Yeah, like, it'd be like dr driving a semi down the road and the trailer just falls off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, dude, what? Like, and uh, that's, a, that's a lorry for all of our UK listeners. 
Yeah, I don't know. That, I, I specifically wrote that down because I thought that was really strange. If anything, maybe it should have clipped, fell off when they clipped the Star Destroyers. Star, Imperial Transport or whatever, but didn't happen. It just, they just fell off, just which fell didn't right make off. any sense to me. Point, point anyway, anyway. Uh, one probable point for me. I've Through this conversation, I've actually lowered my score. Oh? Yeah, originally I was going to give it two, but I think I'll give it 1.8. 1.8? Yeah. That's still really high. I liked it. I, I really like being back on Geonosis. Yeah. And uh, getting an explanation of what happened to the Geonosians and the whole bl- race has been exterminated except for this lone survivor. It was, it was a good storyline to me, especially coming from what we know of from Attack of the Clones. Where there's trillions of these things, and they're all this big hive mind of mm, yeah. bug creatures. Uh, and for those of you who missed it, uh, I didn't explain it. We do it every 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 week. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Our rating system of Pablo points and Pudus, it's a scale of seven. Three Pablo Pudus being the absolute worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu. A 50% score is a Bendu. And uh, now we know who that is. And uh, Pablo points, uh, you got one, two, and three Pablo points. Um, three being the absolute best of the best of the best. So uh, I feel like one Pablo points, you know, it's good. It's not like it's terrible. Like it's not terrible. It's, it's not pass. a bear. It's not a bear. It's not a bear pass. It's it's like a healthy pass. That's not great, and it's not superb, but it's it's good. You know. It's, so one point eight, one point eight. That's above good. That's like almost great, right? So it's yeah. To me, it was missing just enough to be great, but it's not close to excellent. Okay. Well, I rarely would give a score of excellent. Yeah, yeah. Three Pablo po- points is like really hard to get. I don't know if I've ever given it. I don't think I have. I know Bryce has. I don't think I've ever done it. I think I've I've done it. I've done a three Pablo three Pablo points before. Yeah, but me specifically, but, I don't think. Yeah, I've I don't know if you ever. Anyway, all right. Um, final final episode here, season three, episode fourteen, Warhead, directed by Bosco Ng, written by Gary Wooda. January 14th, 2017. That's when it aired on Disney Plus. Uh, sorry, Disney XD. I'm so used to saying Disney Plus these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> while the rest of the, the Ghost Cruise and Phoenix Squadron are away on an exercise mission, Zeb is left in charge of security at Chopper Base. At the same time, the Empire launches a large number of disguised infiltrator droids throughout the galaxy, and one of these units lands near Chopper Base. Damaged by the Krykna spiders and losing its memory, it is taken in by Zeb, Chopper, and AP-5. But after a warning from Agent Callus about the nature of their foundling, Zeb tr- tries to apprehend it, uh, apprehend it. Once it realizes that it is, it is inside the Rebel base, the droid's original programming kicks back in and it adopts com- uh, combat mode. Cannibalizing the base's droid to repair itself, Sorry, cannibalizing the base's droids to repair itself, the infiltrator proves a tough nut to crack, especially since the battle is confined to a storage area filled with explosive ordnance. After a hard struggle, Zeb and the droids take it down before they can transmit its position to the Empire, but the infiltrator activates a self-destruct device inside its chassis. Faced with the prospect of the droid either blowing up at the base or the Empire coming to look for it when it fails to report in, Zeb instructs AP-5 to set the detonator to stall the countdown until the infiltrator transmits its collected information to the Empire. After reactivation, the droid travels back to its base ship and blasts it apart 
when it self-destructs. A close call for Kalos, of course. But this event, nevertheless, gives Admiral Thrawn enough information to narrow down his search for the rebel base. Warhead was one of those rare episodes that lets the droids take center stage. I sat down with the crew to talk about the origins of the story, the design of the infiltrator droid, and Thrawn's overarching intentions. Check it out. Sticking Zeb alone with Chopper and AP5 seems like a natural recipe for comedy. How was Warhead originally conceived? Originally, it was actually going to be a Rex Zeb episode, if I remember correctly. But ultimately, I think the dynamic between Zeb and the droids lends itself to more fun opportunities. This seemed really interesting to kind of go back to Zeb's roots as this captain. He's a capable leader, and the idea of the droid was very much inspired by one of Ralph Corey's original illustrations for C-3PO. I'll tell you a regret I have. If I had known and if we had all thought about the fact that this droid and when it was gonna air, I probably would have redesigned that droid to look more like K2, because they're very similar at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It would have made a nice little bit of continuity. Was the infiltrator droid sent out specifically to find Sato's group of rebels, or was it just doing general recon for potential problems? I think it is part of Thrawn's agenda to find this particular group of rebels. Thrawn's the kind of character who will find a solution beyond what the standard Imperial protocols may be. You think about it, droids armed with a warhead that can go in and explode are extremely dangerous, and mm -hmm. you figure that, wow, this is a fantastic weapon. Actually, the weapon is so dangerous, they were outlawed by the Empire. So Thrawn was actually breaking an imperial mandate by sending these droids out in an attempt to find Sato's crew. Aside from Zeb, the other three main characters in Warhead are all droids. How do you go about showcasing each droid's individual personality? AP5 and Chopper just naturally gelled, I think. I mm -hmm. mean, there are version of 3PO and R2, but they're tweaked to such a degree that it really makes them unique for Rebels. The other droid basically has an absence of personality because it's this tool, it's this instrument that's being used by the Empire. I think that kind of subconsciously helps remind us that to our rebels, droids are real people, and to the Empire, droids are just tools. It's just fun. You could really make them these quite distinct characters. It's something that always shocked me about R2. He's ultimately just a tin can that sits there, but through the movements of Kenny Baker, the beeps that Ben Burt put on him, he has a tremendous amount of character for really no facial expression whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most magic things in Star Wars that captures people that are these droids. All right, well, there you go. Uh, concept art for Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Cause I was, we're talking off screen here, Josh and I were listening to the recording. I actually wrote it down as a note and had it all loaded up to talk about, but uh, Pubbles, he stole the wind from my sails. Yeah, there you go. Stealing it right on it, ripping the rug right on, under your notes. Yeah, at least <laughs> I got confirmation because I wrote it down as a question mark because I, I vaguely remembered when I was watching it, just the, the look. I'm like, this looks like a Ralph McQuarrie design. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, certainly is. It's like one of the first ones that he did, I believe. Um, so yeah, that was that was cool. And uh, this episode is kind of like an alien-style Terminator episode, you know, mostly just Chopper and AP5 and Zeb just on a base which seems abandoned, even though it's not. And uh, you know, reveals uh, uh, these this Terminator-style kind of yeah. combat infiltrator droid that was pretty neat. Yeah, I love the idea that it's disguised as a protocol droid, and then when activated, it just turns into like a like a like a war droid. Yeah. And I definitely want to role play that at some point. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. I think that'd be really cool. That would be awesome, like a transformer. Yeah, basically. So then, because normally when you if you, I never role play 
This is like Star Wars RPGs. I never role play droids because they always feel too pigeonholed. Yeah. You can't really be as dynamic with what you want to do. Right. But this this has enough variety kind of built into it. I think it would be cool because you can't you kind of get the the more low key tech whatever side, but then you also have combat capability. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the uh, the escape pod that the droid uses must have a hyperdrive because we see it exiting hyperspace and docking to the uh, Star Destroyer where it's home-based, right? And I thought that that was kind of interesting that small, tiny, tiny ships like that. Like, we know the Phantom has a hyperdrive, but I didn't realize that escape pods were capable of hyperspace. I'm wondering this too, because I... I had always thought that large, you had to have a decent sized ship to have a hyperdrive. Yeah, um, I guess it's capable of maybe short range jumps, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, or how fast you can travel. Because let's not forget the Falcon, which is a large ship, has a modified hyperdrive. It can make, was it, it's 0.8 past light speed or something? Yeah, something I forgot. So maybe, maybe it's based on that. Maybe it's more of if you have a bigger ship, you can have a bigger hyperdrive and then reach. Uh, a higher speed to travel quicker. Maybe. Uh, throughout all this, Thrawn narrowed his search down to 94 planets or whatever it was with the fact that they clearly had rebels infiltrate their infiltrator droids. So that was a bit of progress in uh, Thrawn's search for the rebel base. Oh, man. Yep. And, uh, you know, overall, this episode didn't really have a lot to it. It was... Um, just kind of a fun, simple story, really progressing Thrawn's search. And overall, I would give it 0.5 Pablo points, maybe. Mm. Almost good. More or less fluff. Yeah, it was mostly filler, but it was it was fun. It was, it was fun. fun. Filler. Like, yeah. I wasn't bored like it was in a number of episodes in season one. Yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. And it was good to see Zeb, like they mentioned in Recon, be more of a leader that we know he, he should be as we're learning his backstory. We were just talking about this a few podcast episodes back where Zeb kind of gets put in the background, but he was like the captain of the Royal Guard. Yeah, that is true. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool to see him in his like captain level status. So mm-hmm. what would you give this one? I think I'll give it one, one Pablo point. One Pablo point. Yeah, I think so. Sweet. There's, there's one thing though. I didn't pull it up because it's an image. It's not an audio clip. But there's a, at 2028, uh, we can see Thrawn's Star Destroyer, and there's something painted on the bottom. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a, like a, it, was it like a red design of some kind? It's, it, it kind of looks like, like a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so know how to describe it. This is, I think, I know what you're talking about, and I think it's the symbol of the Seventh Fleet or something. Okay, because I, I thought it might be... Something to do with uh, his race? No, it's it's um, well, it might. It might the creature might be, but uh, the actual symbol, I believe, is the same that we see on those droids that uh, we saw in the Mandalorian as well. I'm gonna have to go back and double check this, but I think that's that's where the the, the crossover kind of kind of begins. Is like there's a logo that he uses for his fleet, and that's kind of like his thing. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, any it's, last things to bring up here? It's funny to think that. His fleet all has his emblem, and Vader's fleet uh, is blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's, that's true. Uh, all right, well there there we go. That's the next set of four episodes. Any oh, last man. things to bring up, sir? 
I think this was uh, a solid arc, I think, of episodes together. It was kind of a good mix of stuff. I know. Just counting down to Ahsoka, I'm really excited to see how it all ties together. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, uh, oh, you know what? Hold on a second. We, uh, we didn't. We didn't take a listen to the the teaser trailer for for uh, the new Ahsoka thing, but you know what? We'll uh, we'll do that next time. Okay. <laughs> we'll do the next one because I think that's the last one that's coming out before the the show anyway. So yeah, keep you keep our listeners on the edge of their seat. Exactly. Talk yeah. to you. Tune in for that breakdown. Um, we'll catch you in the next one. See you out there. Keep flying. All right, and thank you so much for uh, all of you guys tuning in each week for another episode of Rebels Talk. We so enjoy having you along for the ride. And, uh, you know, welcome to uh, anyone who is just hopping in, joining us for the final two seasons of Star Wars Rebels before we hit Ahsoka on August 23rd, Disney+. Plus. Uh, look out for our socials using the handle at Podcast in the description below. Look down there for the episodes every week that we watch and multiple episodes dropping per week until Ahsoka comes out. May the force be with you and we'll see you in the next one.